Welcome to episode 93 of F-Stop Collaborate and Listen. Wow, we're almost to 100. This week's guest is the hilarious and talented Gavin Hardcastle. (laughs) God, just saying his name makes me laugh. Gavin and I had an absolute blast talking this week. Just a heads up, there is some profanity, so you might want to listen without kids. Unless your kids are cool like mine. We covered a lot of ground this week, so this one is jam-packed. I think you will like it. Over on Patreon this week, Gavin scrutinizes my website and asks me who some of my favorite photographers are. Who knows? Maybe you're one of them. Well, before we get started, I want to tell you about one of our sponsors, Jason Matias, founder of The Art of Selling Art. You might remember him from episode 79, where we discussed the business of art, marketing, art fairs, and my favorite, finding your voice. Jason's platform, The Art of Selling Art, is a Facebook group, community, and subscription platform for photographers and artists who are serious about earning an income from their art. Look it up on Facebook and Instagram and uh, join in on the art business conversation. I think you'll like it. It's fun. He does these uh, trunk Q&As and they're a blast and he answers all your questions. It's really it's really fun. Um, all right, well, thanks to our awesome patreon supporters and podcast producers uh these amazing individuals are helping propel the the podcast to new levels with their 20 dollar a month level um support or higher over on patreon that includes michael howard jack curran eric stensland chris rice jeff peterson charlotte gibb jason matias anton everine Laurie Berenson, David Kingham, and William Norse. If you want to share the word about your services to the landscape photography community, like maybe workshops or other services that you want to promote, you too can support the podcast on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash f-stop and listen. Enjoy the show. All right. Well, Gavin Hardcastle, welcome to F-Stop, Collaborate, and Listen. Thank you for having me on. Hey, no worries. Um, it's funny. I've had about probably five to ten people tell me, dude, you got to get Gavin Hardcastle on the podcast. He's one of the funniest dudes on earth. <laughs> well, that, you just put the pressure on now. Now I've got to perform. Well, that's kind of that's kind of what I was after a little bit, you know. <laughs> Literally, five people have told you this. I I am living large. I have I've made it. I've arrived. That's right. That's all it takes is five. <laughs> <laughs> five people, and they're probably all my friends. Right, 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 right. <laughs> Actually, um, I think Thomas Heaton might have been one of them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah Got to thank Tom for that. Tom has been uh, instrumental in helping me kind of launch from YouTube. I'm just eating my Moroccan olives right now. Hey, no worries, man. Get those calories up cuz we're going to oh. go we're going to we're going to dive into this stuff. So well, these are 
Italian sun-dried olives. If you if you don't have sun-dried <laughs> olives in your life, you, you need to rectify that immediately because they are the business. Mm. Well, I don't I don't mean to one up you, but I have in my hands a rogue hazelnut brown beer. Oh, that's so. interesting. It's curious. It's it's delicious. <clears throat> hazelnut brown. That sounds like a meal. It kind of is. Um, I'm not gonna lie. Are you eating chocolate with that? Mm, I'm not. I should mm. though, huh? You're halfway there, but uh, so you're not. You're a beer drinker, not a wine drinker. Um, I am an equal opportunity drinker. I will. <laughs> I will take pretty much anything you give me, except for a really shitty beer. Well, you know, I'm a I'm a European, so of course. I drink red wine and eat posh olives all at the same time. But the problem with these posh olives is they're so salty. The, the last time I, I quaffed an entire tub of these, my tongue swelled up and I thought I was I thought I thought was going into anaphylactic shock. But did I stop eating them? Did I buggery? I kept on eating. No, that's that sounds like me and the... Uh, you ever had those um, jalapeno pretzel bits? What? Oh no, but I'm gonna have to have them now. Yeah, I think it's like Snyder's makes them. They're hollow. Oh, they're they're like crack. Uh, oh, I have. They're like they're like smashed up pretzels. Yes. Yeah, they're like diabetes in a bag. Pretty much. <laughs> I've um, had them. They're brilliant. Yeah, 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 yeah. Heartburn Central. Oh, we're getting highbrow now with this this entertainment, and we haven't even mentioned photography once. This is good. This is good yeah, stuff. I mean, this, is this a photography podcast? <laughs> well, I, I assumed it was. Maybe it's from my other career, which we won't talk about just yet. Oh, that 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 kind of piques my interest. What was that? <laughs> no, I'm just bullshitting you. <laughs> okay, right on. Well, dude, so I think I actually first uh, discovered you on Flickr, which. I don't know, like, I feel like Flickr gets a lot of bad rap, but there's a lot of really great photographers on Flickr. I don't know what you think. I love Flickr, and I think the reason why I love it is I've been on there for years, so there's a good community, and it's not like Instagram, which I cannot abide. It's it's just photographers who like to nerd out on photography. So when you get comments, <clears throat> they're usually worthy of reading instead of just dude nice shot like you'd get on yeah. instagram epic it's usually, light dude yeah it's like a, a well-considered response that's worthy of my time to read so i like Flickr, and I, I follow lots of amazing photographers on there so it's and, and also it's a good place to follow explorers people who aren't necessarily photographers but they get about and they get into special places and so mm. it gives you good ideas yeah <coughs> no i agree and i I don't know, Flickr has changed so much over the last, I don't know, 10 years, but um, one of the things I I used to really like about Flickr is, which is, I guess, controversial in some degree, but you used to be able to, like, look on a map and you could see, like, people's photos on, like, like what they took and where they took it. You know, like, it's like old school geotagging, yeah. um, but it was, like, pre-Instagram when people would just show up to those locations in hordes it was more like yeah. oh that's an interesting idea like i wonder if i could it was a little bit different back then i don't know like location sharing has definitely changed the game a little bit in terms of like locations getting mucked up and whatnot but <laughs> do you remember that pan was it called panoramio or something yeah panoramio yeah 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 that google used to do and then uh, and they scrapped it i used to love 
looking on Google Earth, and then these little image icons would pop up in these obscure places, and I'd be like, oh, awesome. A guy took a picture there in that weird spot. <laughs> and you and you could check it out, and it, and it didn't matter if it was a crap picture. What mattered was that you could see, Yeah. oh, yeah, that's, that's worth a 21-mile hike. Yeah, I'll do that. Right. It was helpful, but they scrapped it. I don't know why they scrapped it. Maybe it was just, like, underused, and it wasn't making any money or whatever, but I do miss that. <clears throat> yeah, I think... Um, I feel like I feel like that still exists. Like if you use Google Earth, I think it. I think that's still an overlay. Really, I thought they scrapped it. Yeah, I think you. I don't think you can contribute to it anymore. But I think they still have all of the oh. images. Because I just the other day, I was like, I'm curious if that still works, and it did. So, oh, I'm have to have a look on Google Earth then, because I, I thought it was gone. Don't take my word for it, but I could yeah. be wrong. But yeah, man, Flickr. What do you think about? Um, like, are you a pro member on Flickr? Yeah, I think <clears throat> it's yet to be determined uh-huh. the way that the way yeah. that it's going after this smug smug acquisition. Yeah, yeah, smug mug. Um, but I but I hope that uh, they continue to just just do what they're doing, and I hope that they really keep and retain the web version of Flickr because that's what I use. I don't use the app. I'm not interested in using the app. I am a desktop warrior. You know, like I use my phone for things that require me to be on the road, but anything that requires me and anything that I that I want to do that requires a nice visual display like on my computer screen, I'll I'll sit on my bloody desk and I'll use my computer and and I like yeah, that. Yeah, me too. So I hope they don't they don't scrap that cuz that to me that's that's the only way I use it, you know. No, I'm the same way like um well, and I think I think that's actually if I remember correctly, um, that's one of the things they're actually putting a lot of focus and energy into because they're they're actually going to start supporting like 5K displays on Flickr and like I think Ooh. they really want to push people to think of Flickr as like the best place to see your work visually displayed on a computer. Um, if they can manage to do that, that'd be great. I wish that th- I heard that they're going to be doing 10 minute videos. Mm. But I wish that they were doing them longer because I'd love to post my YouTube videos from my channel onto Flickr. But, you know, some of them are like today. Tonight I posted a video which comes out tomorrow. It's 17 minutes long. So that's not going to work. So every time I post on Flickr, I have to link people to YouTube, which is not ideal. Yeah, well, I guess it is ideal because at least then I might get some ad revenue out of it. But I don't know. I just like people to be in one place and see all of your best work, you know? Uh, so I hope they figure it out. Yeah. So, so yeah, one of the things that I hope they fix is, um, explore. <laughs> and I, oh. I heard, I heard they're like rolling out like a new version of explore just for pro members, which I think will be interesting. Cause the, the old explorer was just like, like there's entire communities dedicated to like, trying to figure out how to game explore and like exploit it and which for a while yeah, I figured I, out how to do pretty well but I haven't had a photo explored yeah. there in like a year I think and before oh it's interesting that you say this. yeah and before that I could get literally I had it figured out like I could post a photo like every nine days and it Oh, and it would get explored. Dude, I was Boom. just gonna say the same thing I was gonna say the same thing and I even got it to the stage where if I, I kind of knew that I was going to get in Explore, 
So I would, if I had a friend whose picture I thought was awesome and they hadn't posted it yet, I'd say, look, dude, you want to post your image like 12 hours after I post mine and it gets in Explore and then I will comment or you can reply, I'll comment on your image and that'll push a little bit of that Explore heat over to your image <laughs> and you'll probably, and sure enough, the next day, my buddy would get in Explore, you know? Yeah. So it's like... I, I, I was definitely riding that wave, like you said, every nine days. You know, you'd have to post something good. You couldn't just post crap. For sure. And it, it would, every nine days, you're pretty much guaranteed to get in Explore. 110,000 views. Thank you very much. And yeah, I would say nearly a year now, maybe six months to a year, I haven't been in. Me and too. I, I emailed them and said, what's going on? And they said, oh, don't worry. You'll, you'll get back in. All right, when? <laughs> what did I do when, wrong? When this? Yeah, I, I asked him. I said, "Did I upset you or something?" And because I was really kind of spoiled, I was getting used to Me every too. one of my Me images. Too. It was like hundred thousand views, and now it's just crickets. Yeah, and it's weird because, like, I don't know about you, but because I got so used to it, I actually stopped posting on Flickr because yep. I was like, well. If I don't have any chance of getting into Explore, I don't, I, I don't really want to take the effort to post, which is yeah. kind of dumb, but it's true. Yeah, I, I did do, I did do that for a while, but then, you know, I guess you figure out that without Explore, when you do post and you get maybe three or five thousand views and a bunch of comments or whatever. Those are the hardcore followers. Those are the people that actually care about seeing your stuff. Oh, for right? sure. So I think it's still worth posting because I'd be sad if, if the people that I admire stopped posting. So I guess I should, you know, keep it up. But but it, I definitely don't have that same excitement that I used to have where it's like, oh, I can't wait to post this. Oh, you're all going to shit yourselves when you see this. You know? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's funny as we're talking about this, like I kind of had to like backtrack in my mind. It's like, wait, like that's not like a, great reason to use social media like just so that i can get likes and comments and follows like that's not what i'm really after is it you know like but but here i am talking about Flickr and like gaming explore so i can get more views like it's funny how we're wired as humans like i think i think people have figured out like the psychological effects of getting likes and comments like it drives us to do certain behaviors that sometimes aren't pretty, you know? Yeah. I mean, you're right. But at the same time, everybody wants an audience. If you, if you're a creator, if you, if you create art, whether it's painting, sculptures or photography, you want an audience, you want people to see it and you want your work to be admired. Otherwise it feels pointless. I mean, I'd still do it if I did, if I had no audience. <clears throat> I guess that's a question we all should ask ourselves. If I had no audience, yeah, would I still do this? Would I still hike twenty miles to get a picture that no one's ever gonna see? And I think the truth is, I probably would. But um, it definitely, uh, especially with the YouTube thing, um, I, I definitely feel compelled to um, create content. Because that audience, the, the one thing I love about YouTube <clears throat> over any kind of other social media, especially things like Flickr, is I have people nagging me 
for for my updates you know when's that video coming out <laughs> you've been you've been telling me for five days that it's coming out when, and when is it coming out you know they're, they're very um in, engaged they're very intense and they're very um committed to to your content in a way that i've never experienced before and this is all new to me because i've only been doing it sort of i've only been committed to it for sort of like six months mm. and um to have people sort of waiting where is this where's this new video i can't wait for the new video you know and and the the detail that they they pull out of those videos you know they if they sit and watch you talk crap for 25 minutes they know you and they can quote you back you know and they could say they can pull out little little catchphrases that you use and you know that they are paying attention in a in a much more engaged way than let's say Flickr or Facebook or Instagram or 500px or whatever, where they look at your image for five seconds and then they're onto the next one and it's it's forgotten. And if you're lucky, they faved it and they may come back and look at it again. But with YouTube, I, I, I my only regret with YouTube is I didn't do it years ago. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know, and it's uh, it, it, I'm just finding my feet with it. But if I'd have done this five years ago. I don't know where I would be right now, but I'd probably be drinking far more expensive wine than this. <laughs> I I don't know what it is about YouTube as a platform. Like I just can't get into it for some reason. It's just maybe it's because like every time I've tried to post stuff there, it just you know falls flat on its face. And I'm not I'm not the world's best self promoter, so like I don't. I don't know like there's just something about that platform that i just haven't quite cracked into yet i don't know well <clears throat> i don't know i think it's probably the same thing that stopped me from doing it for years which is i don't really want to be on the other side of that lens <laughs> you know <laughs> i want to be behind it i don't, don't want to be sure. in front of it it's difficult for me you know and it, that i was asking tom about this the first time we met and i said look how do you how do you deal with constantly being on the other side of that camera and being not you know having to perform and it's like you're on stage and he said you just get used to it it just becomes normal and you, you instead of being cringeworthy you just don't care anymore and it's it's second nature and you see that when you know having shot with tom a whole bunch of times and gone out and done vlogging it's it's so natural for him now mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He, he just he just slides into into that role immediately, effortlessly. Whereas I still resist it. You know, I have to sort of, I have to kind of, <laughs> you have to get into like rev a, myself like up. into a Zen state first. You're like, okay, okay. yeah, I have to get psyched up uh-huh. to to do it. And uh, like I tell you what, if if you if you want to see the definition of a hardworking vlogger, you, you spend five days with Tom and. Uh, you know, Thomas Heaton's one of the hardest working vloggers out there. Like when, and I'm a hardworking photographer, right? I'll do all kinds of shit to get a shot. Yeah, me too. I'll suffer. I'll hike. I'll drive. I think nothing of driving nine hours just on the the off chance of getting a crap picture. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody's ever going to give a shit about. <clears throat> Let alone the effort required to film yourself getting out of the car, packing your bag, walking down the trail finally getting to your destination. Now you film yourself putting your camera on the tripod. Like that is effort on a whole new scale that, uh, you know, I just admire guys that can do that. And Tom's got it down. Like he is fast. Like he, 
we were just in Banff last week and by the end of the day he's edited the video that he's just spent the morning shooting and he's uploading it to YouTube and I haven't even downloaded my images yet right you know it's like oh dude I feel slow part of me is like I guess I never figured that people would find any of that stuff interesting enough to like share it you know what i mean like like oh here i am walking to this spot where i'm gonna put my tripod you know what i mean like i i've never really thought people would be into that stuff but apparently there's a huge market for like putting yourself in other people's shoes or something i don't know it's it's voyeurism right it's escapism it's voyeurism and it seems like mundane shit that you're doing. So, like, I'm getting out of the car. Know, yeah. Like, <laughs> but I tell you what, and I just, I have no interest whatsoever in filming that. It bores me to film it. Yeah, yeah. But, but when you watch Tom's videos, it's like, oh, damn. He, why didn't I do that at the same time as he was doing yeah, that? Yeah, 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 yeah. You're like, oh, like well, it, it I think tell- it makes you feel like you're there, right? Like, oh. It really does. It sets the scene. It tells the story. You become part of the journey. And it may right. only be on screen for four or five seconds, right? But right. if you have 20 B-roll clips of you setting up your shot and you blast through all of those clips in, in 60 seconds, that tells the story so much better than me who just rocks up and says, right, I'm here. <laughs> you know, here's me. A few times I've done like a, you know, like Instagram live or something where I've like gotten to a scene and I'm getting ready to shoot and I'm like, okay, the light's not ready yet, but I, maybe I could just, you know, Instagram live this. And it's like, I do the same thing. I'm like, well, here I am. Um, and then I figure like, that's, this is probably really fucking boring. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Yeah, well, it, it might be to you because you, you do this all the time, right? Right. But I think, I'm guessing here, I don't know for sure, but I'm guessing that the vast majority of people who watch people like me or Tom on vlogs, they're not professionals. They're kind of weekend warriors at best. Uh-huh. So to them, it's like, oh, man, I wish I was hiking in that forest today because you you, you know, the guy who's watching the video or the woman who's watching the video, they could be a lawyer, an accountant, uh, you know, a- anything that requires you to be sat at a desk. Mm-hmm. And you'd rather you'd rather be doing anything than that job. So if they can watch someone who's out there slogging up a mountain, perhaps even miserable, you know, like, right. uh, <laughs> like Tom makes me laugh because we were out last week and he said, oh, I love being miserable in my videos. It's it's just real. I'm a I'm a right miserable sod, and I thought, yeah, that's it's true because you see all these other there's a, all these other vloggers that are just not necessarily photography vloggers, but vloggers, uh-huh. and it's all look at me. My life is perfect. I'm having the best time. Everything's wonderful, and actually, no, photography is is misery and joy. Misery and joy. You we, we oscillate between those two states. It's true, and. I think when when we experience the joy, huh. we forget all about the blisters and the you know the tantrums. Like last week, I was having full blown photo tantrums. I was losing my shit in Banff. <laughs> uh, you'll see in a, in a couple of weeks, I'll post a video. You'll see I actually have a full tantrum, and I, I'm like I'm done. I'm I'm so done. Like all my gear failed, 
Uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm suffering minus 26 Celsius. I'm cold. I've, I've, I've been doing it for a week. I'm not getting anything. Everything because I shoot Sony. Every single time I switch my camera on, battery exhausted. Oh no! And it's just like I, I, I was done. I was, I, I was totally done with it. I've had enough. I was up absolutely miserable. But, um, but then I'm standing while well, kneeling on this frozen lake. And the light is kicking off. It's this mountain that I've been trying to get a picture of for five years. And finally, it's epic, you know. And I think because it was so perfect, and I did get a good shot, but because it was so perfect, this moment, I didn't want it being spoiled by shitty equipment failing. You know, like battery exhausted, LCD screens failed, uh, lens won't focus, everything's covered in ice, nothing will work. And, oh, what a surprise it's kicking off it's perfection and i did get the shot but oh my god i suffered like i <laughs> i was losing it to, losing my so shit. you shoot the a7r3 right no i i'm actually still on the a7r2 because oh, okay me I'm too a sting, i'm a stingy englishman and i'm waiting for the number four to come out before i splash the cash and upgrade. yeah i'm saying i have the a7r2 also and yeah batteries fucking batteries it's, it's a travesty. It really is. And I've heard that the three is excellent. It's like kind of Nikon Canon, even better, they say. Um, so the, the, they've, they've definitely got it fixed, but... Uh, have you... Uh, you, you just know it's... Have you tried using an external battery? Yeah, I use one yeah. of those um, anchor batteries that connects up to that HDMI. Yeah, same. Whatever it's called, that little port. <clears throat> Which, you know, it gets you around the problem. But, man, it's such a pain in the ass to be tethered like that, you know? Sure. Shouldn't be like that. <laughs> I don't know. Sometimes I feel like it defeats the purpose of having a mirrorless camera, but at the same time, like, that's not all the time, you know? Like, I don't think I've ever had my equipment fail, but I also have not pushed it to the, to the limits you probably have. It's just the cold. Like, you know, minus 26 Celsius, nothing works, and... uh you've really got limited time before your equipment just at flat out stops. Like the shutter was seizing up. Oh, <clears throat> you know, it was, it was kind of like going, <laughs> so it was like, Oh man, this is, am I even taking a picture right now? You know? <laughs> so, wow. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's brutal. I, I've, I've spent a lot of time in the Rockies shooting in the winters and it, I knew that it was bad. And, uh, you know, I've got that experience, but I'd spent like a year and a half away from the Rockies, so I kind of been a bit out of practice, and I didn't really, I wasn't really familiar with just how bad it used to be when I was doing it all the time, and it was it was bad. Yeah, <laughs> we got the shot. All that matters is you get the shot. Right. <coughs> yeah, I've I've been struggling like trying to figure out what lens combinations to use for my Sony. It's I feel like there's always trade offs and whatever. <laughs> it is what it is. Yeah. Well, one thing I. Uh, I definitely got a bit of lens envy last week with uh, Nick Page. He has this Sony G Master 100 to 400. Oh yeah, that's a good lens. I was like, "Dude, can I can I borrow that?" <laughs> I said, "Yeah, go on then." So I I borrowed that lens and that was it. I didn't want to give it back, you know, because I'm not <clears throat> I very rarely shoot telephoto and it was a nice sort of uh, luxury for me to to do that. You know, sometimes I'll I'll rent one <clears throat> if I'm going to be somewhere that that uses that would need that kind of lens, but most of the time I never have something like that because I don't want to hike with it. Yeah, it's pretty <clears> heavy. But, 
Oh, it's brutal. But he lent me that lens and, oh, man, I was like, oh, that's 3000 Canadian dollars gone. I'm going to buy one of those. Yeah, I've been thinking about that one myself. <laughs> <clears throat> why Why is every lens two to three grand? It's bullshit. Because uh, they know you'll pay it. <laughs> that is the reason. That is it. It's it's market forces. It's economics. They know you'll pay. You will pay. And you're going <laughs> to, right? <laughs> well, I'm not getting paid to say this, but whenever I can, I use lensrentals.com. Oh, yeah, sure. Because um, <clears throat> this podcast sponsored by lensrentals.com. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wish. <laughs> But the the only thing I don't like about those guys is it's it's US only. Or it's, it was the last time I used it. Like they won't send me anything to Canada, uh, so it's kind of like, oh great guys. Have you ever used borrow lenses? The, no, I never tried them. Yeah, I think I used them once a long time ago, and it was great. Do they send stuff to Canada? I don't live in Canada, so I don't know. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, I do, and I need my stuff sent here. Not just because I, I want to use it here, but like if I if I go somewhere else in the world, I need that lens shipped to my house before I leave. But I guess then you've got issues with customs, right? So it's just not feasible. Right. I'm sure there's some cost that's probably that it makes it probably cost prohibitive for them. It does. I'm guessing. But I thought you know if you're in the states, like there's no reason not to rent from those guys or some other one. It's just a great idea because you know do you really like. <clears throat> Spending three grand on a lens that I might use four times a year isn't sensible. Well, yeah, I mean, you got to do the math, right? Like, am yeah. I going to use this like 20 five times, 10 times, 20 times? But I guess, like, I guess you could argue if you had it in your bag, you'd use it way more, and then it might even change your entire style of photography. So, yeah, you know. Yeah, it's possible. Uh, <laughs> I find myself gravitating towards like one of two one or two lenses almost 90% of the time so I don't know it's hard to say <laughs> yeah well I, I'm the same I, I pretty much just use two lenses which is the the Zeiss Batiste 18 millimeter okay the, the prime which is a pain in the ass because it's a prime so you're stuck with what what you've got you, you zoom with your feet um and then the the 24 to 105 which I, I just love that range yeah, I've uh, been wanting I, to get that one actually. You like that one? Yeah, it's great. And then I use the um the good old classic uh FE fifty five millimeter, which is just still an absolutely brilliant lens. Yeah, the the one eight. Yeah, and it's tiny, it's the tiniest yeah. little thing, it's super sharp. I love it that is lens. Phenomenal. Yeah, it's and I got a screaming deal on it years ago before they jacked the prices up. So yeah, if you can if you can get one of those lenses and, and you're a Sony shooter, that's just oh that's the perfect setup. Yeah, so I use the uh, the Laxia uh, twenty one. Oh, that is the that is actually the best almost wide angle lens I've ever used. It's really fantastic. Like probably the sharpest lens I've ever used. Like wide angle. It's phenomenal. Yeah. And how many? But how many times have you used that lens and thought, man, if it was just a bit wider? All the time. <laughs> yeah, it's it's painful. Like why? 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 I know. It is tough. So people are going to get bored of us drooling over Sony lenses, especially if they're Nikon or Canon uh, folks. Mm. So so why did you move from the UK to Canada? Well, everybody 
wants to get out of the UK, right? <laughs> well, maybe not everybody, but most people who who are, you know have a career, they, they want to get out of the UK because it's there's just too many people on this tiny little island. It's full. <laughs> right? It's full. That's all there is to it. <clears throat> I got sick of the crime and I got sick of road rage incidents every single day and the cost of living and the quality of living. Yeah. And if you are like me and you can only speak English and you, you can't speak any other language, your options are Australia, New Zealand, Canada, the States, uh, maybe some, some, some islands like Turks and Caicos, stuff, that kind of stuff. But um, if you're a heathen like me and you haven't bothered to learn another language, that those are your choices. So, and, and Canada's fantastic. I love it. It's a stunning place. The people are great. The quality of life uh, is is amazing. So it's it was a no brainer for me. You know, it's like uh, I, I I was lucky. I had I had family in Canada, and I had a cousin that lived in Comox on Vancouver Island, and I visited him in two thousand six and just fell in love with the island. You know, it's just like oh, this is where I belong. Have you have you been to Vancouver Island? I have not, but I really would like to. Here, it's like um, one of the best food places that you can go. Like. Like, from what I understand, like everything is grown like on the island, and pretty much like everything you eat is local. Is that is that true? Uh, no, it's not not for me. I'm eating these Italian <laughs> sun dried olives. Right, 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 right. right. <laughs> I'm sure if you've got the money and you uh, can afford uh, locally grown, organic, grass fed everything, then then great. But um, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that that's like a thing that the island is known for. Um, it's it's just a a beautiful place. It's it's a, a beautiful place for nature. It's nice to live on the coast. It's we've got mountains, we've got lakes, we've got rainforests. It's it's beautiful. You know, it's paradise really. In fact, I should shut up because I don't want loads of people moving yeah. to Vancouver Island. You know, well you should just like say like, well, it rains like three hundred days a year. Just say that. Well, it actually does rain about five months of the there year. It's pretty. If you don't, if you don't like rain, you're not gonna like the island. But for those months when it's not raining, and for those months when it's not like wildfire season, it's absolute paradise, you know. And uh, I wouldn't live anywhere else. Yeah, I lived in uh, Portland, Oregon, for two years, which is probably fairly similar in terms of climate and opportunity yeah. and i really enjoyed and enjoyed that but man sometimes those gray rainy days can get to you <laughs> it's the winter i think yeah if you've got the means to go away somewhere sunny in both november and then february you'll make it through the winter but if you if you're not able to do that you'll struggle because it, it does get dingy it's miserable yeah so when you're um photographing there on vancouver island like are there any special considerations you need to take um, for photography, like like wildlife, or like what is it like to be a photographer there? <laughs> well, I saw that question on Facebook <laughs> yesterday. Um, I mean, you're more in danger of some weirdo redneck killing right. you than <laughs> than a bear. But there's always that risk, right? Every, I don't know. I feel like touch wood. I knock on wood. I feel like. When I go hiking in BC on the island, it's kind of like, okay, there are things that could eat me today. I am I am not the top of the food chain today. And then when I go hiking in, let's say, Scotland, there isn't that there just isn't that consideration. Mm -hmm. And it's weird. I actually miss that 
that aspect. I miss that. It just it just feels more real and more like an adventure. Yeah. If you're off into the woods and something could eat you if you're not careful. You know, if you're unlucky, you could get eaten today. <laughs> Whereas, you know, if you're in the UK, if you're unlucky, you might get stabbed. Yeah, if you're unlucky, you, know? you might get back to the trailhead and your car is gone. Yeah, chances are your car's gone or it's been vandalized or something like that. So it's a different kind of danger <laughs> and probably more likely in the UK. But Yeah, I'd um, rather have the wild know. the wildlife danger than the people danger myself. Yeah, I don't know. I think when I first moved to Canada, you know, live, living in a, a built-up town in England for my whole life, it was such a novelty to, to come to a forest where, oh, you, you could get eaten. There's lions, there's, there's bears, you know. I don't know. I found that super exciting. It felt more visceral and real. Yeah. Um, so I, I take bear spray when I when I go hiking. I, I've bumped into grizzly bears up in the Rockies, um, and and they're no joke. But I've never had a problem touch wood, and uh, you more you know you're more in danger of severe dehydration. I would say. Right. No, I agree. I so I live in Southwest uh, Colorado, and I do a lot of mountain climbing and backpacking. And I would say the same thing. Like, the I'm not usually like super like concerned about wildlife unless I'm by myself and I don't know, like in a really remote location. Um, I've had a couple of run-ins with mountain lions over the years, but nothing that was like. I wasn't, it was, it was more like they were stalking me, but I yeah. think they were just trying to check me out. I don't know. I'm so jealous because they say that Vancouver Island has the largest concentration of cougars anywhere on earth, but I have never seen one. Never. <laughs> well, I never actually like fit, literally saw it, but I, it was like, I was climbing a mountain uh, before sunrise in the dark and I was yeah. hiking like a little bit before uh, below tree line and I could you know how like you can if you have a really good headlamp you can kind of like scan around and you can see ah he's looking at you oh yeah yeah so it was like and it was not like deer eyes um, like they kept following me so I was like that's that's a mountain lion I'm yeah going to move really fast you just kind of know I guess you just feel it don't you it's it's weird right like I don't know it's uh I don't know. Yeah, it's just, and it to your point, like it, it makes the whole experience just that more memorable, that more visceral. Like the photos seem to have more meaning to you. I don't know. It's Absolutely. just Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's you know, I'm not, I'm not a, an adrenaline junkie, um, but there's definitely, uh, I guess you never feel more alive than immediately after almost dying. Right. <laughs> you, you know, when you when you have a close brush with death, you have a moment where you. You're almost falling off a cliff. I guess like climbers and and skydivers get this feeling all the time. It's that it reminds you that you're alive. It reminds you what living really is. And without that occasional risk, you you you're just a you're just a voyeur in life, right? And that's I think that's what draws a lot of landscape photographers and nature photographers out to these places. Is is there is that element of risk? There is that element of danger just to remind you that you're alive and that you're kind of like a fruit fly instead of one day you're lucky you might get 70 years yeah it's funny um something that i talk about a fair amount on the podcast is like people that and i'm not saying this is a bad thing but you know people that 
just drive to like iconic locations and get out of their car and walk a quarter of the mile and you know take a photo that everyone else has already taken and like that's very satisfying to them and but i think sometimes it's because maybe they just haven't experienced what i've experienced which is like hiking 25 miles and like climbing a mountain uh, in the dark and like there's just like you compare those two experiences and it's not even remotely close to being the same type of experience or photography you know what i mean it's just and it's hard for it's hard to explain to somebody who's never done that before like how it's just so much more visceral and real of an experience as a photographer i don't know Oh, it is, and I think, but you, you've you've got different scales. So, for example, uh, you know, I, I definitely wouldn't consider myself a, a hardcore outdoorman. But one time, I remember being in Grand Staircase Escalante. Have you been out to that Matate Arch? I have not. Uh, spectacular. Anyway, I was out there one night shooting, and it was just getting to dusk, and there's this guy walking up past me with a huge backpack on. And he looked about 70 years old and he he looked like he was ready to go on a big hike and he was just walking past. And I said, hello, where where are you going? And he said, I'm just, I'm just off into the bush. (laughs) I said, what what do you mean you're just off into the bush? It's it's almost dark. Oh yeah. And just every year I, I go off into the bush for two weeks alone and that's my thing. And I was like, whoa, whoa, just sit down and chat to me for a bit, you know, because this guy was like fascinating i said well like what if you break a leg well then i'm dead <laughs> what, what, what do you mean he says well i've got i've got a beacon you know he's got got one of those uh sat yeah, phone spot. things yeah, spot. yeah so if the shit hits the fan you'll survive right. uh but it's pretty ballsy to just you know at any age let alone 70 to just get a backpack full of dried food and water purifying tablets or whatever he's got and just to go off into the the Utah uh, mountains, canyons, on your own for two weeks and think nothing of it. And he'd, he'd clearly done this many times before. Like, he was totally chill about it. So it's different scales, right? So, like, you and I, I mean, I don't know what level you're at. I'm definitely not hardcore. But you or I might think, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll go hike for a day or three days. I'll camp out on a, a mountain lake. But that guy, he's a different level. Yeah, I mean, that first of all, that sounds amazing. I would I would totally do that. Um I think for a week though, like I would want to do I would want to have somebody with me. I don't know, like I'm a people person, so if I'm up in the mountains in the wilderness by myself for more than maybe 2 or 3 days, I start to get like stir crazy and like yeah, start having conversations with myself and that's probably how vlogging started, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I do that every day. Um, right. Like, well, I, guess I, I don't know, but I guess like if your camera. job was, if you worked with people all day long, let's just say you were like a, you worked in the ER, right? Right, the right, right. And you just, you just dealt with drama, people's drama all day long. I bet the idea of disappearing into the, the canyons for a week on your own with absolute silence. And you, you'll know as I do, that the silence out there is deafening. Like it it's, can it's be, a cacophony sure. yeah. of silence. It's overwhelming. You, you know, it's almost painful. Um, Especially so, in the desert. Oh, I love it, man. I, but I don't think I could deal with it for a week. Yeah. I, I don't know. Like as a photographer though, like 
I feel like we fill our heads with like all kinds of ideas and like, um, I feel like that's how, where we would have an advantage. Like you start seeing all these places around you and you're like, Oh, I'm going to go take a picture of that scene. And, Oh, I wonder if there's anything over there. And like, you just start exploring and everything around you becomes super interesting. Like, like, Oh, what about this plant or this rock or, and then like, I don't know, it's for me, like when I'm out in the wilderness by myself and with a camera and a couple of lenses, like, before I know it, it's like, oh, it's it's like 3 p.m. and I haven't had any food yet. Like, what the yeah. hell? <laughs> you know, know, like... Yeah, I know what you mean. Don't you find that um, since you became a photographer, and I don't know how long you've been a photographer, but since you um, obtained this obsession, like we all do, sure. do you not feel like you see things in a different way and you have so so much more appreciation for what you used to take for granted before you were a photographer. Oh, 100%. I mean, and I feel like it's only gotten even more over the years. Like I get at first, at first it was like, Oh, that's pretty. I'll take a picture of that. Um, Oh, I, I really, I really want to go over there and that would be pretty. And then now it's like, I can't even go if I'm hiking, I can't even go, more than like a quarter mile without seeing something that I'm like, Oh, I got to stop and take a picture of this. Like, how can I make this look interesting? And, and my problem is like, especially as someone who climbs a lot of mountains and, and take, takes photos, like I see all that stuff and I can't stop to take all those photos because if I take too much time, like I'm going to get struck by lightning in the (laughs) afternoon thunderstorm. So it's like, it's really hard to balance uh, all of those desires, but absolutely, like I, see, I definitely see the world totally differently. Like all the time, I'll be hiking with non-photographers or my wife or whoever, and I'll be like, "Oh man, look at that!" And they're like, "Okay, that's that's cool," you know. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, "You don't think that's cool?" And they're like, "It's cool, I guess. Whatever, you know." <laughs> it's a gift. It's weird, right? Yeah. I think it's a gift. It's uh, I would I could never go back to how I was before I started to look at things this way. Yeah. So how have you, this is kind of a weird question, but like, how have you leveraged that gift? Like how have you translated that gift into something that has more personal meaning than just um, taking pretty pictures? Mm. God, that's a very, that is a deep question, Matt. That is, um, <clears throat> yeah, I think, I think there's you could probably map out the career of lots of photographers where they begin as enthusiasts and they kind of I, because I'm a musician I always make a lot of uh, comparisons to to being a musician from from being mm-hmm. a photographer and I think sure. when you when you're a musician you start out learning other people's songs right so I was a guitar player, so I would learn ACDC. I'd put some ACDC on or some Queen, and I'd learn these songs from, from start to finish. And so you'd learn the classics. And I think photography is is very similar in that that's why there's still people going to Mesa Arch, right? When right. It, there's been a gazillion pictures of it. That's why there's still people going to Kirk Dufel and uh, Skogafoss in Iceland because they're doing the classics. They're learning those ACDC songs to see how they measure up, right? <clears throat> and I think everyone goes through that phase where, okay, I'm going to learn the classics. I'm going to pay homage to all of the uh, the classic tracks. And I'm going to go to all of these 
overshot places. I know they've been shot to shit, but I'm still going to go there anyway and see how your chops measure up against the top guys, right? And then I think once you've got beyond that, you, I think a lot of people quit or they just kind of plateau. But if you can go past that and get to the stage where I feel I'm at now, where it's like, okay, now I want to go and discover new places. I want to try and see things in a different way. I want to tell a story in a different way. And I want to challenge myself and, and go that extra mile and hike that extra mountain and take that extra flight to get shots that have more meaning and that, that are a bit more timeless because I've done the base at arch and I've, you know, I've done the classics. I don't need to keep going back. Right. Mm -hmm. And you, you know yourself, the only way that you can get a better shot than anybody else is to keep going back until you get that perfect moment of light. But if you keep going back to the same place, it, you're still going to have the same shot. It's, it might be a better light, you might, might have a rainbow, <clears throat> but it's still going to be Mesa Arch. So I've I've got to that stage now where I'm I'm obsessed about seeking out new places and tr and trying to depict it in a new way. Having said that, I just shot a picture of Emerald Lake in <laughs> Yoho, which is shot <laughs> to shit. But you know, it's part of my story in my new video, so I, I'll forgive myself for that. But, but you know, <clears throat> the other one that I was talking about earlier, <clears throat> Mount Chefren or Kefren, I'm not sure how you pronounce it. You don't see that many pictures of it. <clears throat> and the ones that you do see all look the same. So to get that shot after five years of try <clears throat> trying and failing, it meant a lot. Yeah, absolutely. I don't, like, that's one of the things. So I just, um, I just did 10 days in Kauai and... Um, you know, it wasn't necessarily a photography trip. Like, I definitely brought my camera and, like, I definitely had some – I definitely wanted to take photos, but I definitely didn't have any specific photos in mind. Um, and I knew I wanted to get some – at least one or two photos of the Nepali coast, And uh, but I didn't want to just, like, drive to the overlook and, you know, get the same shot that everyone else has. So I decided to, um, like – I was on Gaia GPS looking for trails and I found this kind of obscure trail that like, I don't know, it was like four miles out into onto like this crazy cliff <laughs> that overlooked the Nepali coast. And I was like, that looks cool. And I like bushwhacked through this crazy, like almost, there was almost no trail for like half a mile. And then like, right before sunset I got out there and I got some really cool shots of the Nepali coast that, you know, I would necessarily, I don't know. They're, they're not like, they're not mind blowing shots, but I worked for them. And, and I don't know, there's something to be said about working for photos like that are different. Uh, there's, I feel, I don't know about you, but I feel a little bit more pride, proud about them. I, um, I don't know. They're, they just become more yours. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. I think that's what we all strive to do. Um, <clears throat> I'd be interested to see that. Where can I see those pictures? Because I remember seeing a picture of the Napali coast uh, by Ted Gore a few years ago. And it was, it looked like he'd done that. He'd hiked out, you know, into the, into the valleys there where the, the waterfalls pour down the crease of the valley and they had wildflowers and it looked absolutely stunning. And I definitely want to get out there. 
Yeah, it's an amazing place. Um, I'll, I'll I'll send them to you. I I'm planning on um, I'm actually just reworking my website. Like I'm switching to a whole new platform, and uh, I'm gonna hopefully when it gets released, I'll have a Kauai gallery included. But when we're done, I'll send you a couple of shots I took that are mostly processed. I don't know. Yeah, I need to I need to see those. Yeah, it's an amazing place, but um, you know, like. And what was great about it, I so I drove to the Overlook. There's probably, you know, 50 people up there, cars coming and going constantly. And the trailhead to where I started was maybe half of a mile away from that Overlook. And I ran into two other people on my hike the whole time and no other photographers at all, you know? Ooh, yeah. So it was, I don't know, it's just interesting, like, there's something to be said for what for for like wanting to have something that maybe other people don't necessarily have but I also I don't want to put down people that like are satisfied with just taking pictures of you know the icons like if if that if that's meaningful to you and that satisfies you as a photographer like I don't necessarily think there's anything wrong with that I think Eventually, though, you if you do get bored of that, like there's definitely there can be more meaningful and rewarding experiences to be had. Oh, yeah. Well, talking of that, I'm I'm currently creeping <clears throat> the Matt Payne website <laughs> and I'm super jealous that you got to Hunt's Mesa in oh, it's uh, a great Arizona. Spot. Yeah, I love I was going to go there a few years ago. And then I chickened out at the last minute because the weather was looking crap. And it turned out it was a wise decision. But, oh, man, that is one of the most stunning landscapes ever. And I really like those shots that you've got. Yeah, that's a cool spot. Um, actually, uh, one of the tour companies out there just reached out to me and they want to trade photo rights for another tour of Hunts Mesa. And I'm pondering if I want to do that because uh, that is a – pretty magical place i don't know like when you go there there's something about it that makes you feel like you've been transported way back in time to a ancient place um i think it's because they don't allow the public to go there you know it's you have to have a navajo guide to take you there and it's just a different experience you know well, that's what I that's what I first thought when when I ever saw pictures of Hunts Mesa. It gave me that feeling of timelessness, and you know, apart from the, I guess the roads that you can see in the shots there, <clears throat> you could be like five, ten thousand years back right. in the past, and it would look exactly the same. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's just untouched, such a pristine, but but it's almost like. These sculptures are made for photographers and for painters. Right. They're just so perfect. So what was the experience like going out there with those guides? It was really cool. So my friend uh, Kane Engelbert set the trip up, and um, uh, it was me, Kane, um, Paul Rojas, his wife Mitch, um, Bob Miller, and Adam Cavalunas. Uh, we all kind of pitched in and we did two nights up there, which I would highly recommend because you never know, like the light could be kind of bad one day or not. You know, it's it's definitely worth it. Um, yeah. 
and we got we kind of got a good deal because we we told them we didn't want them to cook us any food. We brought all our own food and all of our own tents and everything like that. So all they had to do was drive us there, you know. Um, but man, like you're up there, you're pretty much by yourself in the desert on this like desert mesa. Um, it was May, I think, is when we went, and uh, yeah, man, it's I don't know, like it's hard to describe. Um, <laughs> And what There's were just, the what were what were the guides like? Was it a nice, quiet environment, or were yeah, the guys so, partying? So it was interesting. Um, I mean, so they're Navajo, so they have a totally different culture. Um, and the guides that we had, we we went through uh, Monument, what was it Monument Valley, MonumentValley.com, I think, is the it's Phillips Photography Tours, and. Um, they uh, they were totally willing to talk to us about Navajo culture and the history of the region and um, like just their own personal experience. Like being a guide at Hans Mesa was super interesting. And yeah, it was a cool trip. And then one of the guides, um, he was like, hey, does anyone want to go check out this uh, arch that's over down this road? And and I was the only one in our group that wanted to go. I was like, yeah, I'll go. So he, me and this Navajo dude went in his truck and he drove me to this arch. It's called Spiderweb Arch. And dude, like it was one of the most amazing places I've ever been. Like yeah, you had to kind of like climb up onto this sandstone ledge, which was like five or f- six feet up. Um, and then he just dropped me off there and said, like, are you cool hiking back? And I was like, yeah. And I just hung out there all day by myself, taking pictures of this arch. Like it was amazing wow. <laughs> all by myself. There's yeah. no other people around, not a single person. Now I'm just looking at a picture of that right now <clears throat> on your website. And that's like as good as, if not better than some of the stuff you'd see in arches and you had the whole place to yourself. Completely. 100%. Like, there was no See, other people that's, there. That's what I'm talking about. So it's like, <clears throat> I think, the, you know, like like we said earlier, I think it's okay to do the classics and go and shoot the, you know, the, the shot-to-shit places. But I hope that most people mature as photographers and develop to that point where they're like, no, no, now I need to go and have this place all to myself and go the extra mile, spend a little bit more money and take a risk, you know, and spend the night under the stars to get that experience and that shot that nobody else has got. Well, and not only that, but like, I don't know, I don't know if this has been your experience, but um, when you start to do that, you you start taking a lot of really bad photos, <laughs> but yeah. but you, you, you're, you're learning, I feel like is a lot more uh, meaningful. Um, especially if you can find a couple of people to kind of critique uh, the stuff that you're shooting. Um, cause it's, cause if you're doing that, like most of the stuff you're shooting is new, um, and it's fresh and no one's seen it before. So like, it's like composition is totally different. Like, I don't know, like it's, I feel, I feel like that's the purest way to do landscape. I don't know. I don't know if you agree, but I feel like that's. Once you get to that stage, it's like, wow, I'm I'm a beginner again. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I don't know. I always feel like I'm a beginner. You know? Yeah. Like, do, do you do do you do workshops? I don't. Um, I mean, I have in the past. I used to do a lot of night photography workshops. Uh, yeah. But no, I don't. I don't really do workshops now. Um, maybe someday I'll do them again. But no, it's not really my focus. I I think I've found doing workshops for for years now. Um, you you tend to. So, so you do a workshop, you, you kind of go in as the instructor and you're the guy that's supposed to know everything. Right. And, you know, most of the time you, you know more than most of the people there. That's why they're there. But occasionally <clears throat> I've had students that are far, far better photographers than me. You know, they're, they're advanced beyond, beyond anything I know in terms of their f- photography skill and their processing. But uh, I always learn you know, I always I always learn stuff on on workshops, even if it's just seeing how other people see. Because I think you know, yeah. we were talking about this last week on Nick's podcast, and and I was I was uh, saying about Adam Gibbs that because he's been doing it so long, like he's been doing it twenty years longer than I've been doing photography, right? He he sees things in a different way, and he, and he looks for things. So. So we'll we'll go out on a shoot together, me and Adam, and um, he'll just be like, we, "We're going specifically to shoot a waterfall, right? We might hike into a canyon to visit this waterfall." He doesn't even take a single picture of that waterfall. <laughs> what he's doing is he's he's walking the opposite direction, just trying to find something obscure and huh. something different. And he's he's not interested in <clears throat> what we went there to shoot. He's kind of like it's almost like a challenge. I think that he sets himself as, "What can I pull out of this that nobody else has got, that mm-hmm. nobody else can even see, that is uniquely mine?" And um, <clears throat> I think that's the direction. I think all artists eventually go, you know. But I'm still I'm I feel like I'm still learning that. I'm still learning composition. And uh, I, I feel like I'm, I know quite a bit about it, but at the same time, when I when I teach, I, I see how other people see, and it's like, oh shit, how did I miss that? How did yeah. <laughs> how did he see that and I didn't see that? And it's like, yeah, yeah, it's a that's the thing I get out of workshops is uh, is is that little bit of experience and that little bit of oh, I didn't even see that. It's, it's quite rewarding. Yeah, it's funny. I um, this past fall, I went out. Um, I went out shooting with uh, uh, David Kingham and Jennifer Renwick and um, uh, Alex Noriega and Sarah Moreno and Ron Coscarosa, and we all just went into a a forest and just started looking for stuff to shoot. And I, I don't know, my brain is wired to, like, look for trees, and that's what I'm looking for, trees and leaves, you know, like that's that's all I'm interested in, especially in fall, you know. And um, as I'm kind of walking through the walking through the forest, I kind of watched David Kingham and he was just staring at the ground. I'm like, I wonder what he's looking at. And so like later I, I kind of walked by that spot again and I was like, oh, there's a lot of really interesting shit happening on the ground you know like yeah like and it's not like it could have been taken this photo i took could have been taken anywhere in the world you know but it was this tiny little five foot patch of ground that had all of this interesting patterns of fallen leaves and decaying corn lily stalks and they were all just arranged in this really interesting way and i don't know like 
I feel like if if when you're not out trying to find those iconic shots, like you're talking about Adam Gibbs, what he was doing, and you're just looking for interesting things that catch your eye. I don't know. I feel like your photography just it just goes to a different level, or at least it can. I mean, it doesn't always. There's always going to be those days where you walk around and you you don't find shit, you know. But oh yeah, but man, you're gonna have those moments where you you find stuff that 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 just speaks to you, and and if you can execute it and pull it off, like it's super unique and and it becomes it becomes yours. <laughs> yeah, no, that's de- I think that's definitely the evolution of of most photographers is we just get better and better and better at that, and it's like anything, it's like sports, it's like musicianship. You, you plateau and then you peak and then you plateau again and then you peak. And it's just it's just kind of having the patience to to ride out those plateaus where there's no great leaps forward and you're almost kind of getting bored with it thinking, oh, shit, I'm not getting any better. And then just one little thing will happen and you start to see in a different way. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you what I'm searching for all the time. I'm searching for um, a shallow depth of field panorama. So I want this big epic landscape but i want one very obvious subject and i want shallow depth of field and occasionally i see it um but but i've not been able to capture it myself and it it requires a specific subject and and sometimes i'll find that subject but the physical uh limitations make it impossible to capture you know like you just can't get a clear view of that one tree and you know me and adam talk about this all the time it's like shooting forests and trees there's such a pain it's <laughs> yeah. so difficult it's like you you literally can't see the wood for the trees it's right there but how do i isolate a subject you know and, and occasionally you'll find this one killer shape this one tree that is just a standout tree that's fascinating but you just can't isolate it because this position that you need to be in while well, you're now obstructed by 20 other trees you know but I'm always on the hunt for that shot, and uh, I think Vancouver Island is the place that I'm going to find it. Yeah, I don't know if you um, are a member of the new Nature Photographers Network or not, no. but uh, Eric Bennett uh, put up an article about that very subject about two months ago, talking about um, shooting forests um, and like, like just what you're describing. Like, oh my god, like there's freaking trees and branches and leaves and crap everywhere like how do I how do I find something in all of this mess to take a picture of and he does a great job of explaining how he just slows down and tries to find patterns and it's a really great article like I oh I I don't know I I feel like if that's kind of where you're at in your photography like that that website I feel like is probably one of the best places you can go to start like piquing your interest in learning how to see those kinds of scenes in a, in a deeper, more personal and meaningful way. Uh, yeah, I'll check it out. Adam was talking about that a couple of weeks ago, so I'll, I'll check that out. Yeah. Um, it used to be uh, used to be a whole different community, didn't it? And then it changed. I, I don't know um, when that happened, but um, I, I had a quick look at it. It does look kind of intriguing. No, it's definitely solid. I mean, um, when it, I think about 15 podcast episodes ago, I actually uh, sat down with uh, the two people that purchased it and are revamping it, um, David Kingham and Jennifer Renwick. Um, and we talked about the site and kind of what their vision is for it. So check it out for sure. 
You know, I who was I talking to the other day? I was talking. It might have been Tom and Adam, um, but someone said someone said these exact words. Well, I do photography because I don't like people. <laughs> <laughs> and it it was it it resonated because I I tend to find um, a lot of my students uh, they kind of like it, I would say it's almost fifty um, fifty just don't like people like they they just want solitude and they just want peace and quiet and then and then there's another the other 50 percent are just like full-on people 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 who just want to be part of a group and they just want to go mm-hmm. and have fun and you've got like these two different types you've got these yeah. hardcore look i'm gonna i'm gonna go over here and i'm gonna stand alone and take my pictures and please don't bother me while i take my pretty pictures and then you've got this other tribe that are kind of like well i'm just here for the fun of it you know i just want to be part of a a cool group of artists who are just enjoying themselves and it's it's fascinating to see that dynamic you know especially if you're doing like a seven day workshop and you've got you're with these people all day long you know and it's like okay you've got to figure out how to get along it's uh yeah i um i've run into workshops a lot um when i've been in the field and it's funny to watch um because i don't you probably don't know this about me but um I've uh I got my master's degree in clinical psychology, so I find studying human behavior quite fascinating personally. So um, yeah, it's always interesting to watch the dynamics that play out, um, especially like you'll. I, I almost feel like that's why there is usually like two workshop leaders if you do it really well, because you have you'll have one workshop leader who's kind of like tending to the like people that want to be off solo by themselves and they kind of just they're kind of like floating around checking in with those people and then you have the 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 other guy who's like kind of more like funzy like jokey uh kind of like leading the group that wants to just have a big party you know (laughs) it's it's really interesting to watch um i find myself Mm. kind of like it's weird so like every fall almost every fall I try to go out with a group of friends like Kane, um, Brent, who I just told you about. Um, I don't know if you follow Jimmy Gekas. He's got some really great stuff. Um, but we, I, I, I try to go out for like five, six, seven days at a time with these guys. And we just, you know, we, we shoot a lot of scenes. And then at night, usually it's about camping and campfire and cooking and drinking beer. So like, you get you kind of get both you you get to kind of you get to have your kind of nature solitude maybe with one or two other people around you but then you also get to have like the fun social time it's it's a really nice well that's the ideal that's the the ideal is if you're all on the same page you can all go out as a group and shoot together and then once the shooting's done have a blast yeah that's the ideal absolutely yeah so so this is separate. This is a separate question from, uh, you know, who you think would be cool to have on the podcast. But like, who are the photographers that that you? The, who's your favorites? Like, who are the people that you really admire? Well, we talked about him earlier, and it's that that Dave Thompson. His his pictures of those those cypress uh, tree swamps. Oh, it's it's sick, right? It's just <laughs> the, the, every time I see them, I just want to quit. They're so. <laughs> They're like, they're both inspirational and demoralizing all at the same time because they're so good. They're so beautiful. And I don't have, uh, I don't have them. 
He's so good. And he's such a good dude too. Like I was actually talking to him last night on uh, messenger and I was showing him some of my photos from Kauai and he was like, Oh, that one's okay. This one, uh, that's not so good. Oh, that one has some potential, but like he's super down to earth about it. Like he's awesome guy. Oh, his pictures. I, they make me want to spend money and go down there and, and like, have you been down to those swamps? Like, what do I have to do to get those shots? Um, so I think you need a canoe. Yeah. Um, and I think you just need to know, like, like the bayous, like probably Google Earth that shit, you know? What about gators? I, so I think it's mostly in Louisiana. Um, and I don't, uh, I could be totally wrong, but I don't think gators are a problem, but I, that's probably a question for David. I'll have yeah. to ask him. Ask him because I'd like to know if if there's some snapping jaws while I'm setting up my <laughs> tripod. I'd like to know before I go there. And, you know, should I be bringing a decoy? He's been taking people one-on-one down there. Uh, so you, I don't know if you're really interested. You you could probably reach out to him and ask him, like, if he, if he, if he would take you down there. That would be a hilarious vlog. If he's, if he's a funny guy... We, oh, uh, he we, is. We can go down there and do some shenanigans. That would be some good YouTube content. Uh, people would oh, love absolutely. that shit. I, I'd love that shit. If it makes me laugh, I think it would make other people laugh. And if we get some killer shots, oh, my God. That's no, a bonus, right? Yeah, I think I've been following those those pictures that he's been taking for about three years now. And it's like every time he posts them, I'm, oh, God, I've got to go down there. I have to go down there. So, so there's David Thompson and... Then we spoke earlier about uh, Ted Gore. I love, yeah. I love his stuff. Um, it's just his compositions are great. His processing is great, and I think it's like you know, yes, he may use a bunch of, he may, he may composite stuff, but man, I don't even care. His, his stuff is so nice. Um, and then as for people that I think you might want to get on your podcast, definitely think you should talk to Ryan Smith. Um, because yeah. he's, he's got so much knowledge about the whole print industry and the mobile gallery thing that he does. He just kind of goes on tour with this mobile gallery that he's got, and he, he does really well. <coughs> and then <clears throat> for like a Photoshop guru, and I don't know the guy, uh, but it's the, the Geordie, Jimmy McIntyre. That guy knows so much about Photoshop, it's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, like he has... You know, it's funny, like every once in a while you come into a problem in, in your processing and you, you know, what do we all do, right? Like you Google it. You're like, how do I X, Y, Z? And I feel like half the time I do that, it's like a Jimmy McIntyre video pops up. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, fine. Yeah. I'll look at that. Knows, he knows his stuff. <laughs> like he's he, he's got chops on Photoshop. He really does. Yeah, yeah. He's probably forgotten more about Photoshop than I'll ever learn about Photoshop. <laughs> Well, so dude, before we before we part ways, I I thought I would uh, I would thought I would do a little bit of justice uh, to some of the questions that people raised over on the the Facebook group for the podcast. Um, so, okay. are you up for that challenge? Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> All right. So this is hilarious. So Kirk Keys wants to know what hair products does he recommend? Does he have recommendations for the follically challenged? And I will say that I'm mostly bald myself. Well, I think I replied to this comment the other day. If you're follically challenged, 
there's only one option, and that is a razor. Shave that shit off. Agree. You know, I like, totally agree. Go bald, embrace embrace the cue ball, and grow a beard. Make sure you've got a tan, and you'll look sexy. I'm there, man. I'm <laughs> check. You're all over that. <laughs> <laughs> Checkmate. Uh, all right. Let's see here. Um, man, this is funny because I, I saw the photo. What what kind of dirt can you dish on uh, Thomas Heaton, Nick Page, and Adam Gibbs? Oh, there's so much. There's so much dirt. <clears throat> um, well, <laughs> it, they're all really good guys. That's the thing is that they're all they're all good guys. The thing the thing is though, um, Adam Gibbs is kind of like a hidden comic genius. Tomorrow morning, uh, if you if you go to my YouTube channel, Photo Tripper with an F, you'll see my new video. And we all, it took me three days to edit the uh, intro sequence. It's like a three minute intro sequence. And I filmed everybody's parts while we were in Banff. So Brent, Tom and Nick, I filmed all their parts while we were there. But I didn't get the chance to film Adams. <clears throat> so a couple of days ago, I said, look, what's what should we do for this little skit for your part? And he said, well, what I'll do is I'll get in the bathtub and I'll <laughs> I'll get like all bubbles and shit and I'll have a glass of wine and I'll, I'll make sure I've got my hat on in the tub and I'll put like bubbles on the, on the tub on my hat. And um, and then you can call me. So we have this conversation and so he sent me this video clip. So we, so I phoned him up and, and I sort of gave him direction over the phone. Uh, but I didn't know what it was going to look like until he sent me the video. <laughs> he sent me the video. And I just about wet my pants because like, the timing was perfect. So we've got this little scene where he's just about to take a sip of this wine. He's in the tub with his bubbles and his hat and everything. And then his phone rings, which is me calling him. And I didn't know it was going to work out that well. But the timing is, so his phone lights up just as he's about to take a sip. And then it, you can you can see the genuine shock as he's like, oh, it's like a jolt. It's like, oh, God, who's that? Who's, who's phoning me now? And then he, he looks at his phone with disgust and answers it. And it's me, you know, and it's just like, he sent me this video and I was just like wetting my pants, just just looking at it. So the thing about those those three guys is they're all comedians and and Tom especially, you don't really get the chance. Have you watched many of Tom's vlogs on his video on his channel? I've watched a, yeah, I've watched a few. Yeah, <clears throat> he doesn't really get the chance to to show how funny he is, but in real life he's hilarious, you know. And I think in his in his last few videos uh, he definitely has shown a little bit more of his comedic side and I, I hope he brings out more of it because he is a he's a really funny guy and then nick um <laughs> he just uh he just i i asked whatever i asked him to do he's like oh yeah well, and then we could do this and we could ham it up a little bit more it's like <laughs> okay and he's a really good actor you know so like none of us have any kind of training theatrical training or none of us can act or anything like that but we just cobble together these little skits that are just, you know, off the cuff, randomly thought about, you know, we just kind of conjure them up at the moment and then film them. <clears throat> and then they don't get to see them. So they're, they've all been nagging me for the last four days. When When is this video out? We want to see it. And I'm like, I'm still working on it. I'm still cutting all the little scenes and putting the sound <laughs> effects in. And 
took me three days to edit this three-minute intro sequence about our trip to Banff. And they haven't seen it yet, but they'll be seeing it in uh, 14 hours and uh, they'll be wet in their pants. So what was what was with... The, I think this must have been the same trip, but like, I feel like I saw a picture of you guys all standing around in your underwear. <laughs> what was that about? I don't know what that was about. I, I have no good answer for that question it was i i think it was brent's idea i think brent just wanted to see some man flesh i think that's what it was what it was wow and we were out on the frozen lake abraham lake but it was a pretty hot sunny day you know and so brent said oh i'll tell you what we'll do this little skit where we'll we'll all have hawaiian shirts and then we'll we'll like we'll have daiquiris and we'll be making cocktails on the lake uh but he only brought like two so there's five of us. Yeah, that doesn't well, there's work. Only, there's only two of us in this this Hawaii, and it totally didn't work, but it was still hilarious. So we cobbled it together, and uh, none of it makes any sense, but it it just somehow kind of kind of works and and is entertaining. But then we started, you know, building a little slide on the ice, and we would, and this is with no alcohol. You know, we we don't even require alcohol just to be silly, but. Um, what you know, guy guys don't need an excuse to strip down to their undies in the sun. I suppose that's true. You know, it's uh, any excuse to so to it, go al fresco. So is this what your uh, workshops are like? Also, oh, I wish. Um, <laughs> I, I I totally would uh, do that on my workshop. Dude, we but- should totally do that. Like, just do like this workshop <clears throat> is not really serious. It's more about having fun. So. I wonder what kind of clientele that would encourage. I mean, they probably wouldn't pay as much money, but... Hey, you got to pay extra for that shit. That's true. Especially if you want to do the <laughs> underwear, right? Exactly. <laughs> if you want me to strip down to me Speedos, then uh, right. you know, that's going to cost you. Uh, we're going to charge that. some Mark Adamus prices for that shit. Because <laughs> <laughs> right. I'm sure the demand will be huge. Oh, abso- absolutely. Okay, so... I only have uh, one more question, and it's it's from my buddy Mike Taylor. <laughs> oh no, I'm already dreading it. Yeah, he yeah, I, you should. So he said I should ask you about some of your slang terms, including shit tickets and trail lube. So what the heck well, are those? Well, trail lube, I invented that. I think it was either me or Brent that invented that. It may have been Brent. But in my mind, it was me. And trail lube is just, it's what you need while you're hiking on a painful trail just to keep you loose and happy and in a good mood. So trail lube is alcohol. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. Sure. Yeah, so it so could be beer, your, it could be wine. What's, yeah, I was going to say, like, on a trail, like, what is your preferred method? Because I feel like, you know, you're a Sony shooter, so you probably sort of appreciate lighter weight. So are you are you packing in, like, uh, hard alcohol? Or are you bringing in, like, full six-packs? Like, what's your... Well, that's the uh, that's the only reason that I shoot Sony is because it's so small. <laughs> it's so small that it, it gives me space in my backpack for either a full bottle of wine or a six pack of beer. See, guys, uh, it's not about the images or the weight. Absolutely. I mean, if you're if you're not thinking about that when you're shopping for a for a camera bag, you've clearly missed the point. I agree. I mean, I'm not gonna lie. When I backpack, sometimes I'll bring some beer. Depends how far the, the trail is, but so that's trail loop and then shit tickets. I can't take any credit for that. That's a Canadian term for toilet paper or, you know, hmm. bog roll, as we call it in the UK. <laughs> bog roll. All right. Bog roll. 
uh, also known as mountain money in uh, Banff, Alberta. Mountain you money. Can, you can literally, you know, trade that stuff for anything because people are desperate for, for shit tickets in the mountains. <laughs> well, because they uh, don't think ahead. Oh, you, you'd be surprised. I, the first time I went hiking with Adam Gibbs, I'd never met the guy. And we, we met up. He said, right, let's, we're going to hike up that vertical mountain there. It's a climb, really. And we went with Dustin Wong. And we got there. We got to the top. And I'd not even had a conversation with Adam. It was literally just, hello, we're going up that vertical slope. Oh, great. We get to the top. <laughs> he, say, he says to us, Adam says, if you were... Uh, <laughs> You, you got any bog row? Meaning shit tickets. <laughs> and of course, I didn't have any. Um, but Dustin look, luckily did. And so uh, Adam disappeared with a roll of uh, white stuff and uh, did his business. And that was the first time we met. Uh, see, I don't know. Maybe it's because I do a lot of backpacking, but um, that that stuff's like the, one of the first things I pack. <laughs> yeah, well, Adam's a very experienced hiker. I don't. He must have just run out or lost it. I don't know. But. Oh, yeah. Uh, I don't think he makes that mistake very often. Or you can use snow. I don't know if you've ever done that before, but... There was no snow. Oh, Tom was telling me about this last week. He said, oh, he said it was the best ever. It's actually, yeah. Who needs toilet paper when you have snow? But what about when it's minus 26 Celsius? Ah, uh, who cares? Mm. I've never done that in that temperature, but like, you know, late May, early June. Yes. Yeah, I think if, you, nice. if you're doing it at like minus 26, there may be some severe frostbite issues <laughs> <laughs> in your nether regions, which I don't think you want. Uh, I'm sure uh, it's worth it. Um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'll try it one day. So that's, yeah, that's trail loom and shit tickets. Brilliant. Well, <laughs> we've definitely gone off the rails. Like, uh, any other questions you have for me before we call this one a, call this one a done? Who are you going to have on next? Oh, that's a good question. Who is next? Uh, it's kind of been a crazy uh, couple of days because I feel like I've had like four or five signups in the last like day. Let me see. Have you, you know, oh, I think you should talk to is Chris Smith from out of Chicago because he's a funny guy. Oh. And even though, I mean, he is a photographer. But he doesn't do what we do. He doesn't do workshops and all that kind of stuff. But he, he has this massive community of photographers. And he's created this very interesting community and this platform with his out of Chicago thing. Yeah, yeah. So I think he'd be a very interesting guy to talk to. And like I said, he's very funny. So who's next? Um, so tomorrow, actually, I'm doing uh, Tim Chapman. I don't know if you've heard of him before. He actually yeah. like, has this huge collection of uh, Nikon cameras that have been to space, which I think is kind of interesting. Uh, and then what do I got? Um, I got Andrew Studer coming up on Monday, uh, which will be cool. Um, I think I think that's all I have scheduled. Right. I hope you're going to bleep out all the squares. Oh, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, so um, what do you got coming up? Like, what do you want to promote? You got a workshop coming up that you want to talk oh, about? Absolutely. That's an excellent question. You should have asked me this 45 uh, minutes ago because I could have spent the whole 45 minutes Well, that would have been shitty, though. I would have been like, okay. No. 
It would have been. It would have been boring as shit. No, um, <clears throat> the big thing I've got coming up this year is the Faroe Islands in May. Um, I, I also have got Scotland just before that, but it's sold out. But there's still two places left on my Faroe Islands workshop, and that's a six-day workshop in the Faroes. It's going to be absolutely spectacular. You've got waterfalls that pour off of dramatic cliffs directly into the ocean. You've got sea stacks. You've got historic places. You've, you've got ginormous waterfalls in canyons. It's it's if you if you've not seen the Faroes, it is uh, unbelievable. Now I heard that almost that entire island is um, private property, and you have to do a lot of like asking for permission. Is that true? Yeah, well, it's it's a group of islands. There's there's oh, many okay, islands okay. that that make up the Faroes, and they're mostly connected by underground tunnels. And then if there's no tunnels, then it's ferries. But there's a, there's a couple of hikes that you you have to kind of uh, respect the locals and ask about you know can we hmm. can we go on there? Um, but most of it is publicly accessible and the the absolute best locations are not an issue. That I've I've really admired some of the shots from the Faroes. I feel like it's kind of like the new Iceland. Um, hopefully, it doesn't get as popular as Iceland has. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't seem to be as rinsed. I mean, I I was there last. June and there were a few photographers around but most of the places that we were shooting at we had the whole place to ourselves I think it's still it's still uh, you know it's got a lot of years left I think before it becomes rinsed like Iceland Mm. has have you uh do you do workshops locally like on Vancouver Island yeah I've got one in the summer uh it's a Milky Way workshop and I think that's just sold out today. So I'm probably going to schedule a second night and do two of those Milky Way workshops right here on Vancouver Island. And that's in July. Uh, but over the next couple of days, I'm going to be putting together a spring workshop uh, to do lots of waterfalls and seascapes on the West Coast. So that'll be probably around about late April going into early May. So I'll get that posted on the website in the next couple of days. But you should definitely get up to Vancouver Island and check this place out. Yeah, if I ever make it up there, I'll definitely hit you up. And if you're ever in Colorado again, let me know. Deal. Let's do that. Let's let's do that. That's a virtual deal right Boom. now. Boom. Sold. Boom. <laughs> awesome. Well, dude, this has been really fun. And um, I, I really wanted to thank you for spending the time on the podcast. It's been an absolute blast chatting with you. Oh yeah, thanks a lot, Matt. It's been it's been your absolute pleasure to have me on here. <laughs> well, well said. Well, thanks, Gavin, for coming on the podcast. It's it was a blast, and man, I feel like he's he's probably the, one of the funniest dudes in the business. So, uh, if you enjoyed our talk, there's a lot more hilarious moments over on Patreon at Patreon.com/fstop and listen. Man, speaking of Patreon, like. Thanks for all the awesome support that we're getting over there lately. Like, it's really been gaining momentum, and um, I just can't thank you all enough for that. So, oh man, thanks to uh, William Norse. Uh, he just increased his pledge from five dollars to twenty dollars uh, just because he he thinks I'm doing a good job. So, thank you so much for that. Um, I really really appreciate that. Um, so next week, uh, we get the chance to uh, sit down with Tim Chapman. He's a photographer out of the Phoenix area. And we talked about film photography, uh, seeing truth through photography, uh, the art show circuit, and his collection of NASA cameras, which I think that's super rad. I'm, 
I wish I, I want to see it. it. Sounds really cool. Well, as you know from listening to the podcast, I am currently in the process of building a new website on Jack Brower's platform, which is called Wide Range Galleries. Uh, so far, I've really, really enjoyed the one-on-one intention that Jack gives you through the process. And um, I really like the back end of the system. I think it's um, really intuitive and really slick, and it's got a lot of powerful features. Um, and I feel like his, his platform, um, if you're looking to sell your work, it's probably the best platform for that. Um, I highly recommend it. If you do use Jack's service um, or if you reach out to him, please let him know that you heard about him from the podcast. Uh, I really do appreciate that. Um, well, as usual, if you want to leave any comments about the episode um, or have any ideas, I'm actually getting ready to uh, to, to do one of those um, group podcasts. So I'm thinking about doing one on location sharing. So if, if you have a um, burning desire to be one of those guests, let me know. So head over to my blog at mattpainphotography.com and you can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram as mattpainphoto um, and you can join our Facebook community um, uh, for F-Stop, Collaborate and Listen where you too can also pose questions to upcoming guests. Thank you for listening. <laughs>